Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the GAF podcast. This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space. It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice. It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni. It's where value sits. So buckle in, volume up, let's go. Welcome to the GAF Podcast. My name's Scott Fitzpatrick, and I'm excited again today. I've got Mike Small, the guru lawyer with us from Smallmire Hughes. Great to have you here, Mike. Welcome to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Scott. Good, mate. Now, what I want to do is continue on with this theme around professionals having additional tools for their toolkit, whether you're in accounting, legal, or financial advice. And so I want to dig under the bonnet a little bit further about the client experience that you have here at Smallmire Hughes. Okay. Principle for us is to try and look at surrounding all of our clients like you do with trusted advisors. There's no one advisor that knows everything. So the more layers that we've got of assistance and protection, I think the more of a robust outcome we've got for our clients. What we see differently is the way we advise our clients. We try to advise our client as if we're advising our mother. So that's open, honest, fair advice which is the way we like to deliver the advice. So if I can just hold you up there, where did Open, Honest and Fair come from? Years of different consultants that have been in and out of our business, Mm -hmm. same ones that have been through yours. Um, And look, we we probably had that uh, 20 plus years ago, as you did. And a lot of those principles and concepts that we were taught, we we use to this day. So they sound like written or unwritten values within the firm. Very much so. Um, Open, honest, fair, context, content, uh, red, blue, black, um, old paradigm, new paradigm, they're all concepts that we work with on a daily basis. Um, And the beauty that we've got is because they're second nature to us, we sometimes don't realise that you're utilising them until you sort of highlight them and say, ah, there, what's that? Great. Love that stuff. Now, let's go back to uh, when a client comes in, is there a process that you will take a client through? I suppose what I'm trying to ask is or trying to lead the witness to is quite often as professionals, we're content experts. Correct. How do we change that a bit differently? What we try to do is bring people into an initial uh, interview with absolutely no agenda from our perspective, blank canvas, to say very much to the client, what do they want? Note that down. Ask that question about five times, you'll get generally five different answers. So it's enabling us to sort of take some time to allow the client to sift through perhaps that political response, perhaps what was their burning issue to deal with when they first walked through the door, to then feel comfortable to maybe ask some other questions that they may have been reluctant to ask or embarrassed to ask because they thought they might have been a little bit silly in asking the question. Often, you can sense there are other issues that haven't been raised and you'll gently ask some questions that enable people to bring up some answers that you know have perhaps got some real heat behind There might them. be some, yeah, there's some energy around that. Yes. And sorry, that led me to another one then, just on that moment, is how did you sense that? For me, it, it's just uh, a, an absolute experience. You feel it. Right. Um, you'll, you'll have a combination of the sensory terms of you'll feel it, it's very sorry, see it in a very little way. Hence why face-to-face is the most valuable mm. tool we find, um, not just visually face-to-face, but physically face-to-face. 
so that you can actually experience the energy shift. Yeah, and you, you pick up mo- a lot of the minor intonations. Yes, absolutely. So I know one of the things that you love to talk about, and we, I get you to coach a lot of our advisors, is this you know, whole-of-life approach or whole-of-person approach around protection, growth, and distribution of assets. Do you yes. want to walk us through that? Look, we acknowledge that in life people will go through a whole range of events, some exceptionally traumatic, but we all know at the end of the day life does follow a fairly certain course. We will invariably marry or be in relationship. We will or we won't have children. And sadly, we will die. Uh, We may prior to death lose capacity. So it's understanding that there is within that framework some certainties. Then most of our clients have got in, in, in the business field or commercial field, certain elements of structures. So we're fairly much aware of what can go wrong. So when we sit down and talk with clients, we can lead them through sometimes a few of their concepts of, do they want to protect their wealth better? Most people do because that's why they're set up in structures. But what they don't know is exactly what they don't know. We're here to open their eyes, to illuminate, to alternate options for them and see whether or not they wish to avail themselves of those options. So let's start at the start. So a business client comes in. We've asked them a number of questions. They might Mm -hmm. come in... I'm making this up as I go. Yes. They might come in to go, look, uh, I've got a staff issue, I've got a lease issue. Yep. How do we broaden the conversation? We'll ask them a number of questions and then... Ask, ask them a number of questions and then we'll come back again and say, look, there are some other issues here we'd like to have a look at. Have you thought about? And invariably they'll say, yes, that's all in hand. Okay, well, let's have a look at it just so that we can evaluate whether or not you've got what is, you know, the best best outcome you can possibly get. Invariably, we look at those examples being a business owner, he'll talk about saying, look, everything's protected because I've got the house in my spouse's name. Okay, the perception there is is that the spouse is no or, or, or little risk. It's often the spouse that can be the high risk. Invariably, when we go to business, we prepare. We have systems, we have procedures, we have processes, we have insurance in case something goes wrong. What we don't do is generally ensure for those other events that can occur outside of the home or outside of the business, more importantly. Uh, examples could be that spouse that owns the house could go off and mortgage that house, could sell the house, um, could transfer it to a third party. These are all things I've seen occur, and therefore the safe harbour of that asset is completely exposed and vulnerable. Yeah, so you're, you're highlighting issues or risks that they haven't thought about. Correct. And then you can make an evaluation to go, do we need to build some brick walls around these yeah. strategies? And do we want to delve in a little deeper to the issue? Yeah. And often that conversation is just an opening of the door. And then once the door's open, there's generally a willingness to say, hey, why don't we have a look at a few more things while we're here? And just do a bit of a stress test. So that's the protection of the assets, yes. please, which will then lead us to the... Strategies to add a, a further protection of um, what they want to do is protect. And then we look at the next phase, which is how do we grow it? So what are the things that we can do? One of the best ways to grow your wealth is not lose it. It's <laughs> uh, a good start. It's, it's a great start. And then we look at efficiencies of income. We look at different vehicles to invest in. Why do we use those vehicles? Um, different tax rates, whether it be income tax rates or capital gains tax rates. Superannuation, great vehicle to invest through. Um, different consequences at the back end, depending on you know what ages we are when we, we pass. So there's all little strategies we look at that we can assist people deal with as they step through their life and their transition from 
uh, young children, older children, empty nesters, retirement, and then getting close to end of life. Which is that brings us into this distribution, protection, growth, and then distribution of the estate. And distribution, we, we use distribution because people really don't like talking about death. So what we look at is, is when we get to the end of our life and, and, and death is on our doorstep, how do we want to distribute wealth we own and or distribute wealth that we control? More and more people we find are controlling wealth rather than owning it. And therefore, we've got to have systems in place for that wealth to be, in a protective nature, distributed. And that just regenerates that whole concept of protection, growth, redistribution as we pass it through generations. And I know we've spoken about this before, but, you know, it's not every day I'm having this conversation, but it's often around people don't want their kids to be the Paris Hilton kids. They don't want to leave them everything. Correct. Or the country club kids. They want to still have their kids have a motivation to get up and do something in the world. And if you simply enrich them with no desire to work or, 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 or improve themselves, you haven't really done them a service. So a lot, of, a lot of our clients will talk that way and say, I want them to benefit, but I don't want them to be corrupted by it. So what we've got to do is show them, well, there are certain tools that we can do to make sure that it's a benefit and not a burden. So how would you do that? Is that like some testamentary trust where the kids might get part of the capital, but then the remainder of the capital sit beside it? All, all sorts of things. Those are options. Um, some of our clients have put people through tests of saying, look, when you turn 25, you can get a small amount of money and see what you do five years later with that money. If you lose it, well, you don't get another. Okay. If you do make out of it and you show that you're good at it, you can come to the board and make decisions. So there's different outcomes for what different parties want. There's no one, one size fits all. And what about this concept of uh, family constitutions? I think they're a great concept because... We've got to realise wealth isn't singular. We're, we're talking for generations to come. And if we can start with some guiding principles that will be followed through by children and grandchildren, we've got all of a sudden some legacies and some consistencies. So if there's a commitment to desire to some simple principles, then I think the family constitution is going to be a great tool for many families to utilise. So, Mike, I just want to take us back again and go... When I bring a client in here, this is an unusual, not an unusual experience, a great experience for a client because you would have to say as a profession, lawyers are content experts. Yes. And will deal with the problem at hand rather than look at the wider relationship. Lawyers, Lawyers aren't taught well to sit and listen. They're taught to talk. Uh, we're born with one mouth and two ears for a reason. It's a case of, 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 of observing and listening. And then once you get that little inkling, inviting that client to start to open up a little bit more about what they want to talk about. Let them talk. Don't jump in too quickly to provide the solution. But you would have to say, you know, I love, I love the opportunity to say this, that this is what they didn't teach you at uni. But this is a skill that you've developed and being coached on yes. over a period over a number of years oh look it, it's been all of my life as a lawyer it's evolved from when you first start the, the the difficulty when you first start is you're eager to try and prove i know i know this stuff so the best way i can prove that is to demonstrate look that's the answer and sometimes too quick an answer for a client is is that it's then discounted oh well that must be simple regardless of its complexity 
What it's more important to is actually find out with all of the questioning and all of the answers that are given is then being able to tailor where they want that to be fixed up and allow very much the client to control that process. So what we like to do is get the information, then provide a, a degree or a number of options. At the end of the day, that's up for the client to decide what option do they want, when do they want it, and how do they want to implement it. Once again, coming back to there's not one size that fits all. Now let me take you into the curlier questions, which is around how do you work with other professionals? Now I know it's easy to say, well, you know, we do collaborative advice, but the, the curly one is always how do you work? Let's say let's pick an, let's pick on an accountant for example that a client's come in, you're looking at their situation, and you go, oh, there's holes through all this. How do we maintain status for the accountant in this relationship? As a professional that gets referred a lot of work from both accountants and lawyers and advisors, it's important to recognise where is the loyalty, where is the relationship that the client has with their advisors. It is poor form and sport for any professional to improve their status and their standing with the client by putting down the other professional. If there is an error, it's best to talk to that person in private and say, look, there might be a different way that we can enhance this position do you want to talk about it? Rather than simply say there's a mistake, you should go and get yourself another advisor. That's the wrong thing to do. It's a better way to go back to the advisor in private and raise the issue. Don't embarrass them in front of the client because nobody wants to be embarrassed in front of their client. So building that will actually build a good and a far better relationship with that advisor and also between that advisor and their client. Doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes people's ego, it's too large and they're not willing to accept or listen to alternate options that might be available. How we do it, or we hope we do it differently, is we try to say, when we sit in the room, everybody, can we all put our egos outside the room? Park them at the door. Park them at the door. Unfortunately, to do that, you've got to have a large enough ego not to have an ego. (laughs) And that sort of leads me into, even from a professional indemnity point of view, you've got uh, lawyers out there, you've got accountants out there maybe printing off trust deeds, uh, financial planners out there pressing the button on superannuation deeds. It's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen and will always happen. The only time that will stop is when somebody realises perhaps um, you know they're encroaching into an area that they're not insured for. And I don't think anybody does it with the intentional knowledge of saying, hey, uh, we can do this, we're covered. Sometimes you've got to go and have a look to see whether or not you are. By having a group working together, you can actually identify very quickly which areas should we all do, all sit and stick to our knitting, so that we can make sure that if we're doing things of a legal nature, the lawyer does them, accounting things, the accountant does them, financial advice being done by the financial advisor, without fear that toes are going to be stepped on, but more importantly, working collectively and collaboratively for the client. There's always an overlap. You will see things differently to the way I do. I'll see things differently to the way the accountant does. And hopefully that collective view will provide that more robust outcome. And just to finish that piece off, are you seeing much litigation or around this crossover of the three? Or is it is it spoken or unspoken? Look, we do see litigation and there's always a, a crossover. The problem with litigation is is that most people think they've got indemnity insurance. Sometimes they don't as a consequence of stepping over the line of where their insurance is. Can you give me an example of that? An example might be an accountant preparing a loan document. 
Now, they might have a loan document sitting there and it's easy enough to change it. The problem is it's illegal work. Now, if it's deficient, the question is whether or not your indemnity insurance will cover that. Likewise, if I start going off and giving people financial planning advice, I'm not covered. It would see that that's an everyday occurrence. There's a lot of people out there that do it. Yeah. Yeah. So there is going to be insurance companies make their money through collecting the premiums and not paying out. So there will be more and more of that. As the world generally becomes more litigious because people want to avoid responsibility. Let's just let's just go back to as an example of that. I know there's a, a lovely case that you and I both worked on. Oh, yes, yes. A very unfortunate case because that was one of these ones where people thought their, their wealth was protected. So we've got family wealth, that's protected because, you know, it just is. We've got our business, that's okay, that's protected too because we've got structures, but we've also got, we've got insurance. And in that particular one, there was a side business and there was an incident where somebody was tragically injured and injured quite badly. But that's okay, we thought we had insurance. Sadly, that was going right back to the days when HIH H-I-H. was yeah. the insurer and as everybody knows, HIH effectively went bankrupt. So at that juncture, there was no insurance. At that point in time, unfortunately for the client, they're in a state of panic because that liability could sheet home to where the family wealth was. But for you and I working together and being able to safeguard those family assets, they would have been exposed when that future event occurred. And so if I was an administrator sitting here, they may say, well, we would have attacked that strategy. Oh, no doubt. I expect them to do that. Two reasons. First reason being is is that they're trying to get some wealth. But the second thing is, is that having got it and having put that structure in place, it empowers the client to go in and negotiate from a stronger position of strength. A liquidator who says that's a transaction that could be set aside has got to spend money to go to a court to get the court to side with their view and set it aside. The benefit of that is, is it enables the client to be in a position of strength to negotiate. Sometimes seeking forgiveness is better than seeking permission. <laughs> Love that line. Um, and from my point of view, um, having worked with advisors for, for many, many years, we quite often uh, overlook the risk management piece around let's make sure your assets are protected today and we've built the sufficient brick walls in case. Because it's, it's, it's these events that come out of left field. It typically. is. It is. It's, it's, it's like everything's got to be updated. Everything's got to be reviewed, whether it's simply your own health annually, whether it's your insurance every few years. All of these structures and strategies have to be reviewed because we do have a tendency to change direction, sometimes become a little bit complacent, forget the the reason why we set it up, uh, forget a key document in the process. So it is a constant need to look back and say, is everything okay? Going to a doctor, it's beautiful being able to say, everything's in order, off you go. And that's what a checkup really is, just to say it's all good. And it's really hard from, you know, just to put one hat on and go, you're the client's total risk manager here. It's a collaboration. It it is once again, those professionals all sitting together, very much that because if you try to do it all yourself, you're gonna have some problems, particularly if part of that review is just a tick and flick process. Have you got a will? Tick. Mm. Without knowing in detail what's in the will, answering that question can be very dangerous because then the client thinks, well, everything's okay because that professional has given me the tick. Fantastic. So Mike, what I wanna do is just circle back again on the business that you guys have built here. 
yeah, in terms of, I know you've done some work around your positioning, around your pricing, around your packaging. You've had some different coaches in over a period of time. So yes. you're, you know, you're very open to being advised and coached. Look, we are, in, in our business, we try to look at, well, what are the practice areas and, and therefore what are the clients that will utilise those practice areas that we enjoy working with? So uh, the principles with our firm are law business relationship and people think, well, yeah, that's of course because you're, you're lawyers and you do business law and also you do family law, that's the relationships. And we say, no, we're lawyers that are in business and building relationships. We want to build relationships with our clients, build relationships with those people that work with us and refer us work. And we want to ensure that those principles are continued by our staff when they deliver those concepts. So if you're after somebody trying to give a very short, quick answer, without thinking of building a long-term relationship, they're not going to invest the time to sit down with the client to go through some of these other issues. And then what I like about this is, you know, it's all very congruent. <clears throat> you walk in, we've got a really lovely office. You've really got a, a great service offering. Your pricing and positioning seem to match, whereas sometimes I walk into offices and I go, oh, um, they're working out of the back of their house. They want to be in the successful business market. They're not pricing their services. There seems to be a complete mismatch. Yes. Yeah, so all, all we try to do is everything that we do is service delivered. We want to focus on service being the delivery, and therefore everything we try to do has got to be supportive of that view. And everything from the, the way somebody makes you a cup of coffee, um, the, the way we're available and accessible, it's all about being available for service. And... Uh, it's a big context that runs through here. Service. It, 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 it is. And we see ourselves as being no, really not different to a restaurant or a hotel. Um, once the day has passed, our opportunity of doing something evaporates. We can't warehouse that time and sell it twice tomorrow. Mm, I like that concept. Yeah. So over the years, you've, you've been coached on a whole bunch of concepts and frameworks from red, blue, black, functionality, how to build distribution, uh, content context, the emotional intelligence pieces. If you had to pick out one that you think's had the biggest impact on you personally, what was a big uh, breath in there? I felt that. Oh, because there's, there's so many. Look, uh, red, blue, black was very good at being able to then break down those roles within an organisation. The major shift for us was probably capturing that content context because, as you've said, lawyers fall into the content. Our view is to try and get it up into what's the contextual issues here and what can we change to that contextual level to see whether that then shifts what's going to therefore be the content and what's important then in the content and the priorities that have to be shifted down there. So within the organisation, I'd say there's different takeouts from all of us. Um, but for me, um, content context is probably a very good one. And oh, oh, there's many others, but that's probably the one that sticks. That's the one that, that you use for firm. And what about for what's a what would be a personal context for you then? How would you use any of those frameworks personally? Let me rephrase to, that. To, to try and use it the way that I, I do use it regularly is I, I try to talk to our lawyers, particularly young lawyers, about a willingness to help. And the willingness to help sometimes gets confused with taking on board that client's issue. And once you take on board the client's issue and become very emotionally aligned with the client, 
you lose that impartiality. So it's don't jump down into the well, stand at the well and offer help. So it's trying to show those differences as how can we help very effectively as opposed to the way in which you tend to help by getting down and living the story with them mm, can lose that in that content of that impartiality. And when you want to come back to how do you advise in our context as if it was your mother, you've got to be able to stand back and give that open, honest and fair advice. If you're too aligned, it may not be fair. It may not be honest. I think I love seeing this young boy become a wise old man. Or maybe not so old. <laughs> I think we're right. And, and then, Mike, just a couple of questions to finish with. What do you see the headwinds for your business or your profession? The profession's got the ability to go two ways. Um, there, there is a huge desire for people to go electronic, um, remote, faceless, internet-driven, or you go the other side, which is one-on-one, involved with each other, actively involved. Neither is right nor wrong. Our preference is that we want the personal involvement. We love the building of relationships. We love the energy that comes from that as well. So that's for us the way our business is moving and will continue to move. Others are going down the more the electronic, keeping everything online, budget-driven, cost-driven. Yes, I could see that would be quite a soulless experience for you. I think so. I don't see you getting out of bed every morning no. with an energy to go not to work and, and help people. Not not in that context. It doesn't do it. The one-on-one like this is 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 it's energising. It's enjoyable, and you don't stop learning. So I think that is a great spot for us to finish up at, Mike. And once again, I want to thank you for bringing your wisdoms to the table and your openness and vulnerability around all of this. Um, great to have you on here. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to another episode of the GAP podcast. We're all about empowering advisors, giving them additional tools for their toolkit to give great advice. Great advice leads to great business frameworks, which leads to great results for the community.